Here at Physio Matters, we think physio matters. Join as a premium member now and access over 500 videos, get free tickets to shows and upgrades included. Access at home, work or on a unicycle to take your knowledge to the moon. Physio-matters.com, more content than you can fit into a gym. Angela Jackson, welcome to Chewing It Over. Um, why is bone stress injury important and how do we diagnose it? Uh, that's a great question to open with. Um, so bone stress injuries are important because if we catch them early, then we have a much better chance of uh, reducing the amount of time out of sport um, or out of a work situation. Um, and so the sooner we diagnose them and the sooner we implement a management strategy, um, the better really. So in effect, they're like on a spectrum and that starts at the very earliest part with the bone just responding to um, an increase in load uh, in a normal way. And sometimes either maybe due to something that's going on with the person or maybe it's just too much too soon, the um, capacity of the bone is exceeded and you might get a bruise. And then if we can, as therapists, intervene at that point um, with a little bit of um, a reduction in load and implement some strategies around what risk factors are present, then in, we're going to basically stop it from going into a fracture and months and months out. Brilliant. So um, from my understanding, it's based on a law called the Wolf's Law um, in terms of um, it's exactly how we measure the rate of bone cells uh, regeneration and also bone cells death. Is that right? Um, is, and yeah. With that spectrum, do you mind just going in a bit more detail for our audience and what, what sort of um, stages are we seeing typically? And is there a specific difference or specific characteristics for us to diagnose them? Okay, so initially, I think the, the main emphasis then of the question was um, to think about the different stages. So let's imagine that somebody uh, that this is a, a you know really big time for them to occur because we have that mm -hmm. new year, new you um, sort of explosion of people doing lots of exercise. So let's say somebody hadn't been running uh, for a little while. And then after Christmas, they hit the gym or they hit the, the running track or whatever. And so the bone suddenly goes, gosh, if they're going to do that again, I'd better lay down some more bone. And so I often describe it when I'm talking to, to my younger patients like the rings of a tree. So, you mm. know, for each year that the tree uh, is there, it gets another ring and another ring. And in a way, I think it's best to think of the bone that way is that it lays down another protective layer in response to whatever's just happened to it. Um, and there's a slight delay in that. So if you imagine that for the next two or three weeks, that new outer layer is really, really fragile. It's really new. It's immature bone, irrespective of the age of the person. It's just been laid down and it's not very mm. tough yet. And it's that that then starts to have the micro cracks and the bruising. And um, so we see this bit of a delay. So in essence, what's happened is so the first two weeks after Christmas, then we're going to get that um, increase in loading. Then we're going to get that sort of two to three week lag. Um, it can be much quicker, but often it's that two to three week lag. And then um, it basically then starts to develop into being symptomatic. Now, if we can intervene right. at that very first symptom, we've got a sporting chance. 
Mm, yeah, and with regards to the demographic side, because I know you've mentioned mainly in runners, is that the case or is there any other groups that we're seeing? No, I think um, it depends on which part of the body we're looking at and which cohort. So if I put my cricket hat on, I'm going to be talking mm. about a lot of bone stress injuries in the lower back and we see the PARS and the spondylolysis. Um, mm. And so there predominantly the, the lower back bone doesn't actually um fuse until uh kids are into their early 20s so in All essence right. what we're basically looking at is that anywhere up into those early 20s an athlete with extension related low back pain could have a bone stress injury so that would be kind of a high suspicion in that group we see um lots of again pars in um little gymnasts uh, who are going into lots of extension and then we can have the other extreme where you can have somebody with a much higher BMI who might be just starting running and they've perhaps not got the strength maybe in muscles like soleus to actually withstand what they're doing. And they get the maybe the uh, medial tibial stress fractures. So mm. yeah, we can see different um, so cohorts um, depending on the maturation of the skeleton, depending on the activity. Um, and it can vary quite a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because um, I would have never have got that in my differential diagnosis for like a back pain, because that is a really uh, important one to take note of. Um, it seems like loading um, is the main sort of like mechanism. Um, but we also know that bone stress injury is multifactorial. Is there any other sort of aspects that we need to be a bit more aware of maybe potentially touching on the um, male and female um, sort of gender side of things? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we think in terms of the loading or an environmental change, such as a surface um, that they're running on, uh, maybe their footwear, uh, if it's a lower limb, then all of those factors we can put into what we call extrinsic factors. Mm. Um, and then we can look at what we'd call our intrinsic risk factors, which are more to do with the ability of the uh, person to withstand the load, so their capacity per se. So um, within that, we used to very much think of female athletes of being more at risk of bone stress injuries um, in the presence of uh, low energy availability. And that can have a knock-on effect and, and affect their reproductive system. Um, so... Um, that was kind of almost pigeonholing them. And they called it the female athlete triad where yep. females would um, have low energy availability in the presence of a spectrum of bone health, like an osteoporosis or an osteopenia. Um, and then they'll have their reproductive function from maybe just missing an odd period um, mm. to actually complete cessation. So all of those symptoms, you can have a little bit of one and a lot more of the other and athletes will move in and out. And what happened over the last probably five years, I would say, is that it begins, it began to become apparent that it wasn't just the reproductive system. It was um, when you start to look at your um, hypothalamic pituitary axis, it influences a whole bunch of stuff. So mm. what happens in low energy availability is it's a little bit like powering down your phone. If you've not quite got enough energy in your phone, your phone will prioritize the absolutely essential systems and the body's very clever at doing much the same. So what's been uh, sort of reported now is that that low energy availability and bone health um, and links to performance 
is basically as likely to happen in a male as a female. The symptoms are different. And certainly that's one of the things I'm going to focus on um, when we do the uh, lower limb masterclass later in the month. But um, we also recognize, so you've got sort of the male ath uh, athlete triad, you've got the female athlete triad, and those are primarily to do with reproduction. But because mm -hmm. of this multifactorial um, situation then and multi-system, they've also coined the term now relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, so it's, you know, lots of systems involved. Um, if we're not getting enough nutrition, either maybe through unintentional, just blissfully unaware, maybe we're that person who's gone on a weight loss diet straight after Christmas and they're in a uh, calorie deficit, um, mm -hmm. or they might have some form of disordered eating. So lots of different mechanisms, which we'll go into in more detail then. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's a really good um, summary um, of what other factors that might get involved onto that as well, because it's really important to understand it's not just the loading side of things as well. Um, other um, aspects of the general health um, could be involved. And I certainly have been um, stopping myself from using the female athlete triad and using more red S because um, it is... Um, from an evidence point of view, it's more common. Um, or it can happen to males as well, not just females. Um, we also know that from a classification point of view, there are low risk and also high risk um, bone stress injuries. Um, would you mind touching a bit more onto that? Of course. So um, what's happened is that there are, let's take the femur, because I think that's one of the ones that um, is particularly interesting. If you imagine the shape of the femur from the head going down into the neck, on the um, inferior aspect of the neck, you're gonna basically have an arc that would be compressed when the weight bearing um, is, is uh, in single leg loading. Um, but on the outer surface, the lateral surface, it's going to be more of a curve um, in the other direction. So we see that outer tension curve. And so as a result, if you get a fracture on the inside, go back to that wolf's law, if we keep loading it, it will toughen up. But if we get a fracture on the outside, so the tension side, um, mm -hmm. then basically we're going to see uh, an, an injury that's got very little potential for healing on its own because it's not getting that wolf's law adaptation through loading. Uh, and a lot of the soft tissues, a lot of the muscles are going to be actually almost tractioning those two um, bone ends slightly apart. So those are the ones we don't want to miss. Now, um, things like your femoral ones, if you miss them, there were some fairly mega ones missed in, in lockdown um, because people yeah. were doing lots and lots of sport, but yet they weren't actually um, necessarily seeking help. And we saw some really catastrophic femoral neck yeah. uh, stress fractures. So yeah. that's one. The tibia uh, has what we call a black line on it, the anterior tibia is mm. again a tension side versus your posterior medial they heal as we all know so it's mm. a case of um, either tension or compression side fractures or also just the vascularity so you may well yep. have like your navicular has got a very poor blood supply everybody knows about mm. the scaphoid um so again you, you know those are if we start getting injuries in those areas the potential mm. for healing is less yeah, and I know you mentioned a bit more about missed diagnosis or delayed diagnosis, um, which um, from a literature point of view seems to be that case. 
why do you think that's the case? Is it because that the clinician is not having the right type of knowledge or um, the presentation is quite vague? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's, well, so we're seeing a lot more of them diagnosed. Now, is that because people are doing different things? Are vitamin D levels different? Um, are more people wearing sunscreen? Therefore, they're not getting um, vitamin D in the way that they did. Um, mm. Is it a nutritional thing? We're all a lot more probably health conscious. A lot of people playing sport went grew up in a, a, a generation of being lighter is faster. Um, and that perception right, okay. that, I you know, know that. <laughs> well, you want to forget I ever said it uh, because it isn't. You know, if you yeah, get an injury, yeah. you're certainly not going to go faster. Um, yeah. So there were lots of old fashioned coaching routes. There were lots of um, beliefs that are around. Um, we get a lot of youngsters that only know one gear. They basically go at it hell for leather. Uh, and yeah. if you said it, say to them, you know, how hard did you train tonight? And they look at you as if to go, well, out of 10, like, well, surely I'd be trying 10 every time I step on the field, because otherwise, mm. why would I get picked? And why would I, you know, improve if I'm not working at that intensity? So it's very, very multifactorial. And I think the critical mm. bit here is, making sure that we take an amazing subjective, take that time. If the, the risk of having a, a, um, a second stress fracture is based off you've already had one. And that's mm. therefore means that if we don't rehabilitate them properly and really take that time to get them strong enough for the load that they want to do. And if we don't spend that time educating them on the risk factors of the nutrition, the vitamin D and all those things, then in essence, we're not going to stop them having two and three and four stress uh, stress fractures. Yeah. Um, and do they tend to, yeah, I suppose a really good subjective history is always a indicator for any specific injury. Um, is there a specific um, point or is there anything that you're trying to get out from them from a subjective history that might increase your suspicion of a stress fracture? Yeah, so um, my um, bone stress injury questionnaire, I would say would take 20 minutes to fill in. So there's no way that you can do that within the um, your first half hour appointment. So I send mm. it out in advance. Um, um, right. And we look at everything from Crohn's disease to um, are they allergic to any food groups? have their period stops, what's their motivation like, which is the equivalent in a boy, um, mm. you know, previous injuries, lots of like things like your pelvic avulsion injuries have a strong um, overlay with, you know, they're, they're in essence a type of bone stress injury. So, mm. you know, have they had anything like that previously? Um, so it's getting into sort of asking all the questions that might be a little bit tricky to ask. You know, if you want right. to know whether there's been any eating disorders, if you want yep. to know whether they've stopped their periods, a young mm. physio might find that a little bit difficult to ask. And especially mm. if the person's there with maybe a male partner or a father or something like that, they may find that a tricky question. So I mm. get it all out of the way and it's emailed out to my patients ahead of the session. Uh, right. And mm. then I pick out the bits that are pertinent to me and explore that and let the athlete talk to me about the bits that are relevant and it's it's using that judgment as to whether they're ready and they know you enough and they trust you enough to go down yeah. some of the tricky stuff because you can yeah. always do it down the line 
Um, mostly it's trying to come up with that diagnosis in the first session and decide mm. if, if the speech is fit for a bone stress injury, then let's get them maybe scanned um, or get them onto the pathway that we think will settle them down again. Absolutely. And which leads me nicely to my next question. So now we had a bit of an understanding of, about what bone stress injury is. We know that there are some points that we need to look out for to diagnose it. Management side of things, I know you might touch on this on your upcoming lower limb master class talk, but is there any specific sort of principles or fundamentals that um, might, um, you might share with the audience on how to manage bone stress injury? Yeah, I think they I'll have to shoot you though once I've told you. So uh, we, can't give all, we can't give all the nuggets away. So sure. I think let's whet the appetite. So I Absolutely. think the main thing here is that um, you start that education process straight away. So if, mm. the, if they've had um, a recent spike in activity, we've got to talk to them about um, reducing that activity down. Maybe, for example, if they're a runner, could they go in a pool and run? Um, could they do some cross training? Could they do some cycling? So mostly yeah. it's about trying to, if you've got somebody who's on a weight loss program or a performance program, the last thing they're going to want to do is rest. So it yeah. then boils down to give them something else to do. So we start yeah. that activity modification. Absolutely. Um, most of the time when I speak to the, the patient, when they're booking in, I actually yeah. start the rest period there. I shut them down then um, until I've actually proven one way or the other, whether I think there is a bone stress injury or not. So we'll we'll often sort of say, you know, stop all the physical loading activities um, until I've seen you, just in case, you know, imagine if we were at the bone bruise phase and the next yeah. run they fractured. So for me, I kind of like, I'm a little bit more conservative, especially if I can see them quite quickly. Um, mm. And then... Depends on the area. If we took a hip fracture, we can't palpate it. If we took yeah. an anterior tibial fracture and start hammering on the front of the tibia um, or the posteromedial side uh, or the navicular, they're going to jump through the roof. So sometimes we get that bony tenderness. Um, the most significant test I use probably in the lower limb is hopping. So single leg yeah. hopping. So it's pretty like if you've got a navicular, you've got a uh, posteromedial tibial, certainly anterior tibial hip, and I've been seeing them in the distal femur as well, or pelvis sacrum. You, if you hop on that, it's going to hurt like crazy. So whilst yeah. there's not not necessarily some great evidence, I think most people that treat a lot of bone stress injuries would be definitely airing down the route of you know if they can't hop, they can't run, uh, and that's the okay. analogy I use. You know, at the end of the day. Average cadence is between 160 and 180 steps per minute. That's 90 mm. hops on each leg. Yeah. So if they can't hop once, they're not going out running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting um, data there, yeah. Um, and if you think about normal uh, activities of your daily living, even walking, going up and down the stairs, we definitely need that single leg, so it's still loading onto that as well. That's really, really interesting, uh, and I'm sure it, it will whet some of our audience appetite, certainly to mine. So I'm really looking forward to um, your talk on our Lowell Master Masterclass. Um, is there anywhere else that um, you wanted to signpost some of our audience to, mainly to it, you know, some of your social media profiles, some of your resources, where can people find you? Of course, thanks um, for that. Um, so my Instagram and Twitter feed is at Angie, A-N-G-I-E, J Physio. 
Um, and then I have a website, which is AngelaJacksonPhysio.com. And I do lots of online uh, courses. I've got a uh, bone stress injury module, which is about two and a half hours long, going all into all of the uh, red S and low energy availability and the different factors in detail. Uh, and the kind of questionnaires you can use and things like that. Um, and then I um, have a course with encompasses all my modules, which is active kids and not many adults, which you can either do in person or uh, online. So it keeps yeah. me out of mischief. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, over the past few years, I would say, um, I, I think people are knowing a little bit more about bone stress injury and um, like what, what you say is so important that we have that knowledge just so that we can delay that diagnosis. And you certainly for me personally has taught me a lot about all these uh, injuries and also particularly in the adolescence of a um, region where I can learn the most from you. So yeah, definitely looking forward to your talk. Um, so yeah, it is on the 22nd of January from um, 6 to 9. Um, Angie will be one of our speakers uh, with other um, really knowledgeable speakers um, that will share, share their knowledge going on from there. Cool. Um, I think that's all for today's Tuning It Over. Um, just keep your eyes out for the next episode. We'll see you later. Thank you and thanks for having me on.